Well, good morning and Happy New Year. In the liturgical calendar, this is also called Seminarian Sunday, <laughs> where all across the church, seminarians are asked to fill in for preachers so the pastor can get a break after the holidays. And I did already graduate from seminary, but our two other seminarians at John Knox were busy today, so I will have to do. Last year on this Sunday, I preached here at John Knox, and I preached on the text that immediately precedes our text today, Matthew 1 through 12. And this year I have, or Matthew 2, 1 through 12, and now I have 13 through 23, so maybe next year I'll get to preach Matthew 3, I don't know. <laughs> this is also the first Sunday of the month, as you heard, so children stay in the service the whole time, and I'm preaching these Sundays that... The children are in church, and I love it because it keeps me honest. Preaching in a room of only adults is way easier. Kids make you work for it. <laughs> um, so as you can imagine, with five kids in our household, we have had a lot of different children's Bibles come through our doors. And I probably should not admit this since I am a pastor, but with some of them, I have to do this. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, we had one that said on the front of it, the Bible, timeless children's stories. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't teach the Bible to children. Of course we should. But I wonder if the person who wrote the copy for that cover had ever read the Bible. Uh, it is not children's literature, by and large. If our text today was a movie, I doubt that any parents of small children would want their kids to watch it. So here I am in a room with children, preaching on a text that is the actual opposite of kid-friendly. And the only way I can faithfully do that is to lean on my belief that God is speaking to the whole church, that the Holy Spirit will pour out wisdom and transform our hearts, minds, and lives, and that Jesus is here. So let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May we be fed by your word today. Amen. If our text today were a play, it would have three acts. And each of these three acts have a journey, a purpose, and a prophecy. In the first act, Joseph and Mary get up in the middle of the night, they take their small child, Jesus, and they journey from Judea to Africa. Did you forget that Egypt is in Africa? Because I did. <laughs> but it is. It's in North Africa. Our, our biblical maps often cut off right there. But if they didn't, you would see that the whole continent of Africa, the top is Egypt. And if you remember my sermon from last year, <laughs> right? You recall that what happens just before our text today is that the Magi visit Jesus. And before they visit Jesus, they visit King Herod. King Herod hears from the Magi that a child has been born king of the Jews, and he freaks out because he is supposed to be king of the Jews. Caesar said he could. It's him. So he tells the Magi, go and find this child and come back and tell me where he is so that I may kill him. I mean, worship him. <laughs> so the Magi find the child, Jesus, but they are warned in a dream not to return to Herod. So they go home another way. And this was a smart move on the part of the Magi, but it also endangers the Holy Family. 
And they're warned about this danger in a dream, and they flee. Jesus' family becomes a refugee family. They leave their home because they are afraid for their lives. Somali British poet Warson Shire writes in her poem entitled Home, no one leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. This experience of being threatened by powers beyond your capacity to fight is one that Jesus, Mary, and Joseph understand. Now from where we sit, <clears throat> it might be easy to say, well, Jesus is far more powerful than any earthly ruler. But this passage forces us to come face to face with the humanity and therefore the vulnerability of Jesus. He was a baby, a toddler maybe. His parents were not wealthy, they were not well connected. They could not protect themselves from a king who wanted them dead. And so they ran. They didn't just run out of fear though. <clears throat> They ran because God told them to run. And that must have been jarring for Mary and Joseph because at first, during the pregnancy and before, they've, they've gotten these messages about this child, these beautiful and awe-inspiring messages from angels and in dreams. Your son will save all the people from their sins. Your son will be called the son of the most high God. And then suddenly, oh, also you need to flee to another continent because your baby is a threat to the king. The king has zero morals, will stop at nothing to destroy anyone in his way. So get out. And if we're tempted to wonder, why would the savior of the universe need to run away? The author of the gospel gives us this assurance. He says this was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. This flight by the Holy Family was not just about escaping harm. This experience connects them to the larger story of God's people, and it reveals something about God's character. In the book of Genesis, a different Joseph, the son of Jacob, is sold into slavery in Egypt, and he ends up saving his whole family from famine. And we can look at both of these stories and see that what's happening is that God makes a way out of no way. He makes a way where there was no way. No matter how powerful the Pharaoh is, no matter what lies are told about you, no matter how brutal Herod is or how many soldiers in his army, God made a way for Joseph. God made a way for Jesus. They were delivered and they became deliverers. Tyranny loses, and love wins. Act one. Act two of our text hits like a punch in the gut. We do not include verses 16 through 18 in any of our Christmas pageants or nativity scenes. It's certainly not in the timeless children's stories Bible. Hell hath no fury like an insecure king with unlimited power and absolutely no conscience. In act two of our text, Herod's soldiers make a journey 
from Bethlehem, from, Ju- from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, just a half day's walk, for the purpose of eliminating this baby born king of the Jews. Jesus made it out, but the others didn't. Jesus' playmates and neighbors, why didn't their dads get warned in a dream? I don't have an easy answer to this question. It hangs in the air every time we read the awful headlines coming out of Ukraine or listen to the experiences of nurses and doctors in our pediatric ERs right now with RSV, COVID, and the flu. Or really any time that we are forced to come to grips with the cold brutality of death. Most of us just try not to think about it. And being immersed in a culture that denies the reality of death allows us to do that most of the time. But our text today does not allow us to do that. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. This is the prophecy of Act 2. And it's not an answer to our burning question, why, Lord? It's not an explanation. It is a compassionate cry of solidarity in the midst of unthinkable suffering. I don't know if you have heard the sound that a person makes when they experience suffering in the depths of their soul. But that sound is in the Bible. That sound is right here in this prophecy. As the parents in Bethlehem weep, their cries echo the cries of their mothers and grandmothers and great-great-grandmothers before them. As one who has experienced deep grief, I will say that this prophecy doesn't give me comfort. It doesn't console me, but it does give me context for my suffering. And it also gives me company. This is what Herod cannot kill. Our connection to one another, our connection to a larger story, In this text, we are faced with the trauma and horror and injustice that exists in the world. And in the midst of that, this prophecy reminds us that we are not alone. We are part of a story that is still being written. Act two. In act three, the evil king dies. That another one replaces him. And Joseph, Mary, and Jesus come up out of Egypt, but instead of returning to Bethlehem, they go to Nazareth in Galilee. Another journey, a similar purpose, to keep their child safe. The prophecy mentioned here is interesting because unlike the others, it is not found anywhere in the Hebrew scriptures. It says, so that what had been spoken through the prophets, we don't know which ones, might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. He will be called a Nazarene is a little bit like saying, he will be called an Enumclite. (laughs) 
nothing against Dinoplah. <laughs> to put it another way, he is the expected one, but he will not be what you are expecting. We tend to expect either act one or act two, either a story of victory, of being miraculously rescued, of good conquering evil, or a story of utter defeat, of being trampled underfoot by the powerful, of losing what we most hold dear. But the Bible does not give us an either or. This is another reason, by the way, that it doesn't make good children's literature, because most stories for little kids have simple and straightforward good and bad binaries. This text is a both and. Jesus escaped suffering at the hand of Herod, and he went on to suffer death by crucifixion under Pontius Pilate. Herod was unsuccessful in his mission. He failed to eliminate the king of the Jews, and he still committed horrible acts of brutality. In the midst of this tension, we encounter the living Christ. In our moments of triumph, when we, like Joseph, hear directly from God and experience God's saving power and deliverance in unmistakable ways, Christ with us. In our moments of suffering, when we weep with the mothers of Bethlehem and wail like Rachel, Christ with us. When we find ourselves in Egypt, safe for the moment but not at home, Christ with us. In the mundane daily life of a Nazarene, a nobody from nowhere, Christ with us. Wherever we find ourselves, may we be moving, journeying, sojourning toward Jesus. To do this will require courage and discernment. We may be asked to get up in the middle of the night and run. We may be asked to live a simple life in a seemingly unimportant, tucked-away corner. We may have to confront our own thirst for power and be willing to see when we have more in common with Herod than Jesus. We may be asked, we will be asked to live within the tension of the world as it is and the world that Christ is bringing with all its beauty and redemption. May we walk this journey together.